Welcome to This Old App, a podcast about learning, coding, smashing stuff together, breaking things apart, startups, failing, winning, and any other buzzwords we can think of. Hey, Don. Um, this week, I thought we would talk about test... Dri- well, I was going to say test-driven development, but maybe we talk about testing in general. Okay. Test-driven test driven development is a you know a small subset of the overall quality control and testing mechanism and we've talked about this at different times but um how does a development team or a developer best set up an environment for quality code development where testing is built into the process And that's the kind of question of the day for me. The reason it came up or reason I'm bringing it up is that I went to Megan and I went to um, Northwestern boot camp has a quarterly um, event where the students that have done their final projects can go to a round table or they go basically go to a networking room with little, uh, you know, those high tables put a laptop down and meet different people from other classrooms and um, some companies that are high, like recruiting and they show off the projects they did. And I, I kind of went because I had been substitute teaching for three or four of the groups that were there. And I kind of wanted to see what they were working on and kind of send them off into the next place they want to go. And I remember thinking, Oh yeah, the curriculum doesn't have a tremendous amount of time to teach you like that next thing you need to learn because everyone says, what should I learn next? What, what do I need to do? And usually I say to people, you should start dabbling and testing. If you're in rails, you use something called, you can use the, the native, uh, test um, library that comes with Rails, or you can use what I typically use, RSpec. And there's another one called Minitest. And then on, in JavaScript, you would be using Mocha, Jasmine, Jest, um, right. a whole bunch of different ones. And so I just wanted to talk about your experience with testing, test-driven development. Um, and I'll answer right now that you are not, you haven't done it a lot. Um, cause you, right. we've talked about that, but I want to know, I want to talk about it because there are a lot of people out there that hear that they should be doing it and they aren't, and there are reasons why they aren't. And that's not necessarily a bad reason. And there are people that think I don't do testing and I'm like, you are a liar. Everyone tests. It's just all different how you do it. <laughs> So right. I just wanted to kind of talk about this testing environment, testing from the perspective of I've done, I would say I'm a 60 to 70% tester. I believe I should do more of it, but I also have time constraints and expertise that doesn't make, get me there to a hundred percent and right. you have less. And I just want to kind of talk about that whole experience and constraints around it so that people out there listening that are like, I know I should do this. Maybe we kind of bring to life that, um, why you can do it, the benefits and what are the blockers for it? Well, so 
For Aspire EDU, we've got a good percentage of our code covered um, mm-hmm. with tests. Now, that said, that's not code that I've written a lot of. Um, for Aspire EDU, my job is more oversight management, that sort of thing. Um, for my own projects, the only time I have ever written a test is... Oh, gracious. Maybe when I was actually going through a video course or something, and part of it was, here's how you do testing in Ruby, Rails, JavaScript, Python, whatever it was. Um, Outside of that, the only other time I've done it is back, oh, gracious, this was probably five years ago. Um, There was a coding dojo here in, in Orlando that I'd go to every couple months. And, and the idea there was to do little exercises, but do them using test-driven development. So write the tests first, make them pass, then refactor. So red, green, yeah. refactor. Um, and that those were usually led by uh, a person by the name of David, who we're going to have on here uh, shortly in the future, I hope, yeah. um, to talk about some other things. Um and I get, so this is where I fall, I fall on, on all this. If I were to have to write things that are production ready and um, potentially uh, multiple people on the team working with it, uh, all, all that testing makes perfect sense. Yeah. When I'm trying to put a proof of concept down, to where I'm just trying to see if I can do something and make it work. It, it's not that testing's wrong. It's that it does not scratch that itch. Yeah. Um, the uh, perfect example is what I was working on when, when you, you interrupted me so that we could record this. <laughs> <laughs> we've got for, for, for construction specialties, we've got new work orders that come in probably 10 to 20 a day, depending on the day. Mm-hmm. And we have a, a process when, when it comes in, somebody fills out a PDF form for it so that we can make a PDF out of it. And then we make a Trello card out of it. And then we send an email to the person it's being dispatched to. The first two steps, the filling out of the PDF form and the filling out of the Trello card mean we're re-entering the sit the exact same information twice. So I'm, I've, I've been sitting there messing with an express uh, application to just make a form. Yeah. You know, just a plain form, say, fill this out and you hit submit. It's going to create that PDF. It's going to create that Trello card done. Um, does it need tests? Uh, sure. As, as it evolves, maybe, but uh, I, I've, I did not grow up in the, in the TDD era yeah. uh, and, and it was not drilled into me. So I have a hard time wrapping my brain around when to get into it. So that's, that's about where I sit on, on all of it. Well, if you talk to the TDD folks, they will tell you, and I don't disagree that the easiest time to start testing on any app is at the very beginning. Right. And that more often than not, if what you're building is useful, 
you're going to want to have tests on it later because someone's going to come to you with a feature and you're like, yeah, I'll add that. And someone's going to come to you with another feature. You're like, yeah, I'll add, I'll go ahead and add that. And then you'll have four or five features and then demand will grow. And then you're like, oh man, this is actually production and needs to scale. And we want to add seven more features and we need tests. Oh, now we're in that valley of no tests. So, but you you know, like the other point is that this is a throwaway app and if it really matters, we'll rebuild it anyway. That's the other side of it, I think. Well, um, and the other the, the the side I'm sitting on is not necessarily that's a throwaway app. It's more that I'm having to exercise what I know and and learn new things just to make this work. Um, yeah. And you want me to write tests first, learn how to write tests first? Ah, why that that if I the minute I so I know I know because I I went through this last night. I spent an hour and a half trying to get, for some reason, Chrome would not see localhost. I couldn't tell you why. I still don't know why. Because what I ended up doing was I ended up just throwing away what I had and starting over. And all of a sudden, Chrome saw localhost. So I don't know what it was. But (laughs) if it's it's those, we we all have them when we develop, where we, we hit these stupid, stupid things that it's just not working. Um, and we don't know why. And when I, when I have an end in mind, it's easier to fight through and push through those. I can tell you, if I'd hit one of those while trying to set up some tests, I would have thrown it all to the side and said, I'll deal with it later. And then just moved on to the actual coding yeah. because it, 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 it's not scratching the itch. The itch I'm right now, I've got, the, I've got two fields on the form and it's printing to the PDF. And so that my itch has been scratched. That all works. So it, it's a matter of finishing out the rest of the fields. And then I got something usable. Yeah. So then it's a question of, okay, now do I go back and rewrite the tests and we can get into that. But it, it, it's that, it's that I understand that writing tests and I'll let you talk to this a little writing tests can help prove the concept um but not as well as actually seeing it work so here's now I'll go into my little diatribe about why testing is not what I don't know that the way you described is how I think about it if I go if I sit down and write an application. And let's just say I'm writing a simple function to get one thing done, but it involves express like the server, right? So typically I write some code, I save it to the file. It may maybe hot loads on the server, hot reloads, or it just, I need to refresh the browser to see if my code change and the request being made against the server is doing what I think it should do. So I code and then I manually switch my screen and context to the browser client and I refresh and I look, I either get an error message or it does something I expect. It's like either it does something I expect or it doesn't. Those are the two kind of the binary um, Boolean like way I'm looking at it. And I just, 
proceed that way the rest of the project. Code it here, like I code this function, go and look at the my the browser, and it says, yes, it works or not. Maybe I get a stack trace to go through and find a bug. Maybe I don't. But if I take the time to write a little bit of code that tests the output of the server request, response request, I, I write that test. I say, I ex this is what I expect to come to happen. I expect the response will come back with this particular payload or this message or the status or what have you. I don't have to go to the browser at all. I can sit looking, staring right directly at my coding screen. And I say, I can actually trigger, I can have it where there's a callback on saving the file and it says, I'll run the test for you. So that very first function I've got has a little bit of code looking at it saying, what does the developer, me, expect to come out of this function? If I give it a certain input, what is the output? If I give it three different inputs, what are the three different outputs that are expected? And if it fails, I kind of know exactly where it's failing and I can go in and change it and fix it till I get the passing green flag or whatever. But then, then I come in with the second function and maybe I insert that function and, it, and basically the input goes into that, the new input goes into that function, function number two, and function number two calls on number one. So now I've expanded the, the footprint, the interface of the, my application to have two functions. And if I don't have the test, I've now expanded what could go wrong. And if I go and code the second function and look at the browser, I could get a scenario where I have two different spots that could I have expectations for, and I am checking on the browser and hoping that it tells me which one is going wrong if they do. Whereas if I write a second test, and we're gonna this is we'll go we'll call this the unit test. The unit test is going to be pointing at my second function. And it says, hey, if you give the second function some input, what output do you expect? The test kind of knows, hey, I expect that function two is going to call on function one, but I don't care about function one. Somebody else, another piece of code is responsible for testing one. I'm responsible for the inputs that go into two and the inputs that come out. And so now if a problem comes up, if something I triggered or something that I give to function two triggers a bug on one, then I shouldn't find out about it through my test. My test will say, hey, I was expecting data to go through these functions a certain way, and I found a scenario where it's not. But I have this automated check. I'm not going to the browser in this case to switch context to keep on going back and forth. But either which way, I think the thing that has to be clear is that I am doing test-driven development either way. But one of them over the long haul is more productive because it takes less time over like the, the complaint that always comes up is TDD te writing tests per code is just double the code. And I also have to expand my expertise to do it. 
and it's not critical for me getting just this thing working. But the other argument is that you're still testing every step of the way. Every time you write a new piece of code, you're going to go look at the browser or go look at the database. And what happens is over time, that footprint, that interface of your code gets so big. One pattern is still using the browser or the database as a single point of indication of, of pass or fail. And another has a code base that runs every single time you make a change and honestly way faster pinpoints the problem or tells you everything's still stable. And so psychologically, over time, having that set of tests on of unit of just unit tests, we'll get into integration and um, other tests sure. later, but just having that unit test library hitting your code every time you push. And that includes if you update packages or gems or Python modules, whatever the heck they call them. Um, anytime you upgrade anything, you get instant feedback without having to go through and run your app, so to speak, manually, that this change I made here didn't have a butterfly effect over there. And that's the power of it, but it's not immediate. And I think people that test manually get used to it, so it's maybe not a big deal to them. But once you get bit by the bug of, I don't even have to look at the browser for the first 75% of what I'm coding because I have I have a bunch of tests that are actually telling me you should be pretty good. It's amazing how much time you save and it's amazing how often you can keep your context in that development um, editor compared to switching back and forth, back and forth. So that's how I respond to your statement of the, I just need, I can just test in the browser and I'm fine. I'm not arguing that that's not the case. I'm saying that I feel like later on you're going, if you knew the benefits, otherwise you'd say, yeah, it's probably, if I'm building something for a business to use, I should give it more thought on how much testing I want to put in place in the beginning, because I'm going to do it anyway. I guess that's what I'm uh, mentioning. Yeah. And, and, and I, again, I can't ever argue against, it's very hard for me to, to, to put together an argument because we're not talking about Apple. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if, <laughs> if we're talking about an application of size, a system of size. Yeah. Um, the, 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 where, where I'm going to get caught. Okay. Cause I can already see it is okay. This little thing I'm running, I input things into an HTML form. It produces a PDF and it produces a Trello card. Yeah. That's it. Did I really need tests for that? Hmm. Maybe, maybe not. Um, and I'll get I, I'll get back to I have a point about tests being trivial, and I want I want to dive into that. So I'm going to put that to the side for a second. Um, but I can also see that 
once once that piece of this is built, well, then it's not a long hop to go from, okay, you fill out this HTML form, it kicks out a PDF, it fills out a Trello card, it emails the, the person it's being dispatched to. And then once it's done, it displays all your work orders and you can start to manipulate. All, and then all of a sudden I've written this huge system that I have no test for. Yeah. So I, I, I get the argument that you're going to get there anyway. You might as well get there earlier than later. Um, it's, it, I don't, and it, this is a lack of experience and a lack of use of it. You sitting there telling me that if I were to write my test first, I could just code something, see that the test passed and just move on without even looking at the browser. I don't buy, I, I, I can't imagine a scenario where that makes any sense to me. Oh, I know, um, but it does. Because... It, 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 it ha- I'm, I'm telling you, it, it, I do it all the time. I do it. So, so th- I, do it, I do it in Rails way more than I do it in JavaScript. I'll, I'll save the reason why later, but how many years were you in Rails before you reached that le- comfort level? I okay. Let's talk about my history on Rails and TDD. I became a Rails developer with Vibes Media, I think, seven years ago, and I worked there for a year, and I didn't write a lick of tests. I didn't write any. I di- I barely knew Rails. They were fine for me to learn on the job because I was in the job 80 hours a week for that particular job. And I quit eight months later because of that. But they didn't care about code quality for what I was doing. They gave me no resources. I had no one else on the team to pair with. And I knew this was a problem because I was working. I was doing tons of projects and things were breaking very frequently. And I'm like, I know there's a slice of the Rails community that really gets into TDD and I should know more about it, but I just don't have time and I don't have anyone to help me. Then I went to DevMind Software and testing was a philosophy there that if you weren't into it, you ain't working there. And so immediately I had to ask questions and basically say, I don't know how to test. Show me what I need to do here. And the team of people that worked there were way better than me on the engineering level. And they taught me, they showed me examples. It became part of the way we worked. Now I, TDD, test-driven development by the philosophy is that you code the test first and then code, write the code to make the test pass. And I'm going to be honest, I don't do it that way, really. Sometimes I do if I'm in a role, if I'm in... If I got a role going on, I'm really cranking out stuff and I know exactly what I want to do. But honestly, sometimes I write the code and just so I can see something happen. And then I write the test to ensure it always happens. And I'm sure. fine. I'm fine with that. Like, I don't, I don't care if I'm not following it to a T. But I can say without reservation that you do, when you get into a focus, state of focus and you understand the code base and you understand what kind of test, what, what the testing will do, you will write four or five tests sometimes without looking at the browser. 
it's almost like a game. You're like, I want to see how much of this I can get to pass and see if what I expect to render will do so. And you don't always nail it 100%. It's almost scary if you do. Like, you don't believe your test if they all pass. In fact, you sometimes force them. The philosophy is make sure it fails first and then make it pass, even if you're not doing it before you write the other code. Um, sure. But yeah, I, I. so the answer, the short answer is I coded in Rails at least a year and a half before I ever got into the TDD or into the RSpec kind of work. And then I have never written a Rails app since that does not have RSpec running against just the basic code. I can't say that about Node. Can't say that about R- React all the time. And that has to do with the learning curve aspect. But for Rails, it's just part of the culture. And it's part of, like, there's so much work that has been done on the testing side. So I do it as just a habit. And it, it's that assurance makes me, that's why I enjoy the Rails piece so much. Well, let, let me, let me, let me prosecute you a little then and interrogate yeah. you a little. So if, if it makes so much sense for you to do it with Rails and, and you, you become a convert and, and that you, you completely understand the why and, and so forth. What's what held you back from doing it on the JavaScript side? The same. Well, one front end is a bit different than the back end. Server to me, the server world doesn't really have events. It has request response. That's really in, right. the, in middleware, and I find that to be a very simple pattern to write tests around. I have sure. I have written tests for React apps. But I haven't always, they change, like the front end and the clients change so drastically because of designers and design teams that you can completely blow away the work you've done testing on a few simple changes on components. That's, that's reason, that's not a excuse. That's just a reason why I had some trouble. The other is I don't run into a lot of JavaScript developers that believe in testing as much as I've met Rails developers. And while testing is important to me, I work in an environment where clients won't budget for it. And so it's not something I can always, it does take extra time. I don't, anyone that tells you that you don't need to spend extra time running, like doing tests, I don't believe that. You are writing code that, that works against other code. It will take time and it will take time to learn and do it right. So, and the other item I would say is that APIs, external services are hard as crap to test or to at least mock and act, act like they're responding. So case in point, sure, I'm using Firebase Auth for chasms and we've got React on the front end, Firebase on the back end, Firebase Auth as for authentication. So I have to write some tests that essentially say, act like you're reaching out to Firebase, <laughs> act like Firebase is getting back to you with a certain amount of data. And then your test kind of checks that something is being, like a request would be ha- would have been sent and that something would have been received. And then that your app reacts the way it should, that you expect 
you expect this request to be made, a response to be given, and your code responds accordingly. And that's tough. That's tough. Because you got to figure right. out what are you sending to Firebase Auth? What is Firebase Auth sending back? What happens if that changes? And then you got to figure out what your app's going to do. And that's a much different... I don't control all the pieces. And in fact, I need to prevent. I can't be hitting Firebase Auth with tests. I can't have it every time I run a test suite. Firebase Auth is like, why do you keep asking me about this user, this, this test user? Right. Because they'll shut you down. So it's... It is harder, and it's even harder in Rails. It's not like Rails and APIs are the are a um, great any better. It's harder. It's still hard to do. So that's well, that's my answer. I wonder. So now this becomes a philosophy and a thought exercise. So one of the new newer um, paradigms within the JavaScript world is functional programming Mm -hmm. Um, and, and pure functions. Yeah. Um, And when you're describing tests and the things that are easy to test and things that are hard to test, I'm hearing things that are easy to test, pure functions, things that are hard to test, non-pure functions. Oh yeah. So, 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 so because, because that's the definition of a pure function, right? You put something in, you're always going to get the same thing out. Yeah. Um, so I wonder how much, and, and this is an unanswerable question, but I wonder how much this, this move or this, this movement of functional programming came out of the TDD world, came out of the, those people thinking the same things and they've just shifted their focus. Um, not saying they've done away with tests, but they're saying, if you want to make running test, if you want to make tests, then this is the way to do it. You do it with pure functions. So um, you're on the right track. Um, there's two libraries that have taken what you just said and have kind of incorporated that into not just testing, but also their compiler. Um, Elm is a front end library that competes with uh, React and Ember and Vue and Angular for attention. And that it is functional, it is compiled, and it is big on is it's big on limited testing because the idea is you're writing functions to always um, do what you said. You give it a particular input, it will always give you the same output. You never mutate state um, with the function, so to speak. Right. And then the other one is called is a uh, Elixir. Um, Phoenix is the framework. Elixir is the the code base. And the guy that kind of is a, one of the spearheaders of that is a guy named uh, I think it's pronounced Jose Valim, and he was the guy that wrote Devise the what we use in Rails for authentication and authorization, he moved to this Elixir, to the Elixir world because he wanted Rails to have this pure function type of uh, like workability functionality. But he wasn't going to get that with Ruby. Ruby is never going to do that. And he also loved testing. He was big on TDD. 
so it is like I don't TDD didn't come yeah function I think I think this whole functional coding paradigm comes out of this idea that code quality and predictability is a key feature for code quality. Um, so yeah, I, I've if you pay any attention to those two libraries, they in the early days were very much on the TDD and the pure function train as a result of that. So I think you're right. Yeah, and I I just wonder if they're 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 two sides of the same coin. They don't do the same thing, but they they same philosophy behind coding, right? Yeah. Um and and I think I also think those are two of the bars here in downtown Orlando, Elm and Elixir. Um, mm-hmm. I, <laughs> yeah, I know yeah. there's, a, I know there's an elixir. I, every, I every an city elixir. has an elixir bar. Like that, that's a good one. Um, Elm, Elm sells furniture to old people, I think, but. Or, or maybe elixir is on Elm street. Who knows? Well, I, um, I'm, I think we are old people, so I can't really. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that, so, so what I think, what I think first is going to happen is we're going to be in the same place here in about seven days. Um, yeah. And we're going to, we're going to be working on some stuff. I think we're going to take some time and I'm going to work. I'm going to open up the code that, that I've been working on and we're going to work through some of where, what, what should these tests look like? Because this is, this is the po- other point I wanted to get to. Yeah. Um, and it, it fits it fits the the pure function idea as well. Is a lot of times, at least in the examples I, I've seen, the tests seem very trivial. Yes. Um, you pass it a five. I want a ten coming out the back end. Yep. I'm like, oh, okay, great, yay. I guess that makes sense, but that doesn't always t- it, that doesn't always tell me I've broken something. Um, it just tells me I've broken something in between that, that calculation, so to speak. You're really good Um, on the segues today because that's the next point. (laughs) That's the next point to make. So the rails world has had a bit of a focus change. I talked, I was really talking a lot about unit tests, but what we should transition to is the integration tests. What happens when you have mul- multiple units of your app talking and working together? How do you test that? And in Rails, you have models and views and controllers that all work in sync. And so it's one thing to do, like you said, give me a two, it spits out a 10. Give me a five, it spits out a 13. Like those are unit tests. They're very simple. They need to be, they should be. And they're testing very small, like very small compartmentalized bits of code. But now you need function one to talk to function 14 and you need that to result in something on the screen. So now you're in the more in the world of integration tests. And it's essentially saying if if a user gives an input of like of of so and so, then this is what you should see on the screen. This is what elements doc like if we're going to match against the DOM. This is what we see spit out. This is the text we see rendering. These are the buttons of the form. This is the the message we're handing to the user as a pop up or something. 
So you're right in that, and there are a lot of people that agree with you that unit testing has been overdone and that integration testing is what you want to do. And there are at least Selenium being one of them. Um, and that's even more on the acceptance level, but you have like on, in the integration world, you also need to write tests between controllers and models and between if something happens in the model, what does the view do? And so you start to write these higher level tests that don't care about the innards. They care about at a very more abstract level, action, event, input happens. Here's what happened. Like, this is what we expect. Those are more complex. There's no doubt that integration tests are typically harder to write and you will not see simple, give me a five, now give me a 10 type of um, input outputs. Sure. But so, but that's the next question is how much of that has have you been able to work with before? Because you've hi- you worked with people that did it, right? Sure, sure. And and I've worked with with... I've worked on big complex things that we had integration testing. We had unit testing. We had smoke tests. We had everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so we've worked on all that before. Um, and when we're talking about health insurance systems, it makes sense. And we're talking about big monolithic enterprise systems. It makes sense. I, I guess what, what always at the end of the day, the, the, the calculus is what, how much time do you spend building these tests versus just finishing the code? And I don't know that there's a right answer to all that. Yeah. Um, we've talked in the past about code coverage and, and percentages of code coverage and things like that. Um, and the, 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 interesting dynamic there is I don't think you I think it's very hard I won't say it's impossible because I don't know I would think it's very hard for you to say 100% of our code is tested you can't introduce a bug without one of our tests failing I, based on the conversations I had with all of the folks at DevBind, they are a hundred percent in agreement with you that there is no such thing as a hundred percent coverage and that it's impractical to aim for that number. Sure. Not, it's not just a impractical, it's a, a complete waste of time and you're aiming to cover the most important thing. So when you just use a few minutes ago or a minute ago, you said, well, how much time do you put on this? Like, well, where do you, how do you judge that? And I would say two, two areas of a website that I typically work on search. It's really important that when someone types in certain values that are, that we have faith that our search engine is going to give back accurate results because that results in money. Someone's going to buy something because they can get a search running correctly. Now, am I going to be able to test every single item we have in the database? No, but there's a lot of different scenarios that we can test to know, hey, if this person misspells something, is the search engine tuned well enough to handle misspellings? If a user types in just a basic name, will it give back a result set with that name there? 
I mean, I don't know. I, I can definitely tell you that using Elasticsearch and WebStorm in the past, that having a test suite hammering the testing um, server saved me so much time. Not having to go in and type the same crap all the time and hit submit or hit search was huge. So also the flip side is e-commerce. If a user can't get a payment made on an order they have in a cart, you are losing so much money on that bug. If you aren't getting a marketing advertisement in the top corner of your site, it's arguable how much of a ding that is. But if I can't, if I click submit on a credit card payment and a bug comes up that was wide, it was very easy to prevent because it's really a simple, like you said, a pure function of, hey, they hit submit and our calculation system should run tax against it. Like you can predict that. You can predict that the tax system will analyze the value provided on the order and what it should come back with based on the state. You can test that scenario and it's not really complex numbers and code. But if you do it wrong and you don't catch it for a month, that's potentially thousands of dollars you have to go and you can't grab it back from the user who already did their order. You now have a, a faulty tax system and you got to go pay the tax man for that error. So right. I think you pick the areas of your application where errors cost the most here and then you attack that first. You don't aim for 100%. You aim for the most valuable percent. That's how I think you approach it. And, and I think the example you just gave of, of a checkout, a, a, of submitting payment, may be the easiest example to sit here and, and we, could, we could spend forever on this one example and say, this is why testing is important, okay? Yeah. Because... We're, let, let's say we just built a form. All it does, you know, we've we're we, we're we're building this thing incrementally. Um, so the first thing it does is we just enter an amount. We hit submit, and that's how much gets charged to a credit card. Um, then we come back later and we say, okay, we're going to enter in the things the person bought. We want the system to calculate the tax once we hit submit. And then it'll produce the right number right there. That's a perfect example of something that, yeah, absolutely. You need to have tested. And it's, I, I, I won't, I can't argue this one. I'm well for it is if we say 10, I want 10 to be what gets submitted to the processor. If we say 10 plus 10 plus 7% tax, I want 2140 sent to the processor. Um, those are, those are, and and we're back to unit tests again, right? We're not, we're not talking integration tests. Those are, those are very simple to, to, to wrap the brain around because all of a sudden the next thing is, okay, now we have to add shipping, but shipping isn't taxed. So you have to add it after you tax and so on and so forth. And this is where getting those written requirements, you turn those around to, you take the written requirements you go and you change your tests first. Yeah. And then you start coding. And the, if you change your tests first, then it's going to immediately fail before you change coding. And then you're red, green refactoring. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that was probably the perfect example of 
where we could come up with scenarios where it just makes a ton of sense to be doing testing. But I also think that you were talking about unit tests, and I'm thinking, I'm saying that an integration test on a on a something like a checkout form, huge, because users are going to make mistakes, and you need to catch that. You don't want you don't you have to catch your own code mistakes and user interface mistakes to make sure a, a purchase goes through. And so being able to have an automated process that types in values into the field, you understand that the validation works, and then you able to, you're able to click submit. Like there's a lot of code on the back end that's working, and you can't directly test that with the integration test approach. But it's still vital to try to mimic what would a what kind of bad steps can a user follow that we need to recover from to keep these purchases going. And what's the most important thing is that I need to know that if you come in behind me and make a change to the payment form or make a change to the tax calculation, that my expectations are maintained. Right. And you and I are not talking all the time because we're too busy. I just said to you, Don, go in and I think the tax on Delaware change, go in and change, like make an adjustment and you go in and you change the wrong thing. Why? Because I didn't tell you the right thing or you just didn't listen to me. That's it's more likely the second thing, but still. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> so that problem, that, that bug occurs and it, through no, nothing other than normal work style, in a test suite, you run the test suite after you do your code and you say, oh, crap, there's a test here that says I affected something from what the previous developer, me, was expecting. And it catches that. And we aren't stepping on each other's toes. And so the attitude at shops that do TDD or that have testing philosophies it should be very, very difficult for you to break the build, to break the production build because we should have a, a significant number of tests that prevents the butterfly effect of random changes in the code base. Sure. And that's so the integration. That's the integration benefit. So, so last question, and then we'll wrap for today. Sure. When you're talking about testing and developing in teams, should the developer who is coding the work be the developer who codes the test. If you've got a well-oiled machine with people pairing, um, I would say if you can pull off the test to code thing, that'd be awesome. Um, I've never been able to do that, but it would be pretty cool to do it. I mean, it's, it's yeah, that, I think that'd be great. I just don't know how many companies or would ever give you that kind of uh, budget of time, to be honest. Because because if it, and here we're, we're going to talk we're going to talk uh, ideal situation, right? Mm -hmm. In the ideal situation, if I write the test, I've I've got the business requirements. I write the test. I interpret. I ask questions, and then you turn around. You get the business requirements. You write the code. You ask questions of uh, uh, and all that. That's now two people who have who have um, 
gone through that thought process of interpreting the business requirements instead of just a single one. Yeah. Um, and that's a huge benefit. And I, I, there, there's no doubt of that either. So that, that was a question as you were talking, I was like, you know what the bet, the ideal situation is somebody else writes the test. And that's, that's where I think we end up is I'm going to continue coding and I'm going to tell you to go write my test for me. Yep. (laughs) That's how it works. (laughs) All right. So no, good. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I'm still not convinced, but like I said, we'll, we'll spend time <laughs> together and and uh, and you can convince me some more. Well, yeah, I think I we should do that. I think uh, I need more practice on the JavaScript side. I've used I've used Jest and Mocha um, before, but I haven't done anywhere near what I've done in Rails. So I we should definitely do that. We'll we'll be together next week for a sports related thing, which people will, I'm sure everyone would love to hear more about that. Of course. Um, we, so we'll have to record being face to face again, but we should definitely, we're, we'll be in Atlanta um, Monday and Tuesday, some parts of the day. So we should definitely do a little bit of testing and see how far we get. Um, sure. It'll be, a little, it'll be a little bit of learning on the fly, but I've always found that to be good too. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do do a little bit of investigation into Jest, and we'll go from there. All right, sounds good. Talk to you next week. Uh, see you later. Thanks for listening to this old app. Show notes and previous episodes can be found on our website at www.thisoldapp.online. Reviews on Apple iTunes are always appreciated and help promote the show. For questions, comments, or things you would like to hear on future shows please email us at hello at thisoldapp.online. Show music is Guns Blazing by Fab Claxton, licensed by Pond5. Voiceover work by makingvoices.com. You'll hear from us soon.